If you've ever heard the phrase, the Holy Spirit, and you want to know what it means, where do you start? Well, you have to start on page one of the Bible, where the uncreated world is depicted as this dark, chaotic place. But then above the chaos, God's Spirit is there, hovering, ready to bring about life and order and beauty. Okay, but... What is God's spirit? Yeah, so the spirit is the way the biblical authors talk about God's personal presence. The Hebrew word is ruach. Ruach. Yeah, you got to clear your throat at the end. So what is it? Well, ruach can refer to a number of different things, but what they all have in common is energy. Energy? How so? So there's an invisible energy that makes the clouds move or the tree branches sway. Right. Wind. So in Hebrew, that's ruach. Okay. Now take a big breath. So you feel that inside you? Yeah, the air? Well, specifically the energy, right? The vitality in your body that you get from breathing deeply. That too is ruach. And this is the same word used in the Bible to describe God's personal presence. Just like wind and breath are invisible, God's spirit is invisible. Wind is powerful, and so God's spirit is powerful. And just as breath keeps us alive, so God's spirit sustains all of life. Yeah, ruach. Now, as we continue on in the story of the Bible, we see God's Ruach giving special empowerment to people for specific tasks. The first person in the Bible this happens to is Joseph. God's Spirit enables him to understand and interpret dreams. And then it happens to this guy named Bezalel, and he's an artist. God's Spirit empowers him with wisdom and skills. He's given creative genius to make beautiful things in the tabernacle. And we also see God's Ruach empower a group of people called the prophets. They're able to see what's happening in history from God's point of view. That's exactly right. And here's the problem as the prophets saw it. While God's Ruach had created a really good world, humans have given in to evil. They've unleashed chaos into it through their injustice. A new type of disorder. Yes, and the prophet said the spirit would come, just like in Genesis 1, but now to transform the human heart, to empower people to truly love God and others. How will this new act of God's spirit happen? Well, centuries pass and we are introduced to Jesus. And at the beginning of his mission, there's this beautiful scene where Jesus is being baptized in the waters of the Jordan River. Yeah, the sky opens up and God's spirit comes and rests on him like a bird. This story is saying that God's spirit is empowering Jesus to begin the new creation. And we see this happening when he heals people or forgives their sins. He's creating life where there once was death. Now, Israel's religious leaders oppose Jesus and they eventually have him killed. But even here, God's spirit is at work. The earliest disciples of Jesus, who saw him alive from the dead, said it was God's energizing spirit that raised Jesus. This is the beginning of new creation. Yes, and it's still going. When Jesus appeared to his closest followers, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And soon after that, the spirit powerfully comes on all of his disciples. So that they can become a part of this new creation and share the good news and learn how to live by the energy and influence of God's Spirit. And so today, the Spirit is still hovering in dark places. Yes, pointing people to Jesus, transforming and empowering them so they can love God and others. And the Christian hope is that the Spirit is going to finish the job. The story of the Bible ends with a vision of a new humanity, living in a new world that's permeated with God's love and life-giving Spirit.
Well, good morning. It is awesome to have all of you with us. If uh, none of you have a Bible or if you didn't bring one but would like one, uh, please raise your hand and our ushers would love to give you one. We're going to be all over the place in the Bible today as we were last week, uh, continuing in our study of the Holy Spirit. And many of you who are here today, you maybe don't uh, buy into Christianity. You don't care at all about this thing. Someone invited you and you're like, okay, they keep asking me. I'll finally go with them. Or maybe you're here and you're genuinely, genuinely exploring the reality of there might be a God and who is this Jesus character. And, and Christians, uh, and if you are a Christian, you understand this, we talk a lot about a relationship with God. Now when we say relationship with God, we think and know Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But then some of us, if we're honest with one another, probably wouldn't understand how that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all works together. Like, at what point am I, like, in relationship with the Father? At what point am I in relationship with the Son? Am I now Holy Spiriting it? Like, you're trying to figure out how all of this works. And by and large, many of us, if we have a Christian background, come from uh, denominations or uh, families of churches that would typically be a little bit more conservative on the Holy Spirit. I know, for me, I came from a background where the Holy Spirit was never talked about. And what we really desire here at Church of the City, as we look at the Bible, we see this beautiful, this beautiful picture of God's church being one that cares deeply about his word, about what he cares about, but then also cares deeply about the Holy Spirit and being in relationship with the Holy Spirit and having the Holy Spirit inside of us and empowering us, giving us this energy, this breath, this life that we just learned about in this video. There's a quote from a guy named A.W. Tozer. Now, Tozer died in 1963, but I think his words are quite prophetic. He says this, We may as well face it. The whole level of spirituality among us is low. We have measured ourselves by ourselves until the incentive to seek higher plateaus in the things of the Spirit is gone. We have initiated the world, sought popular favor, manufactured delights to substitute for the joy of the Lord, and produced a cheap and synthetic power to substitute for the power of the Holy Ghost. And if, if many of us are honest, if you're someone that you have a background in the church, you've been part of the church, you could probably understand that this is accurate. You read that and you're like, okay, what have I looked to as the power in the past? Or what have I looked to as the substitute? And some of us, if we're honest, we go to the worship nights because that's our power. We go to the worship nights because it's like, we're, it's just going to be emotional, we're going to sing for a long time. Or you're joining a whole bunch of different Christian activity because I need to be immersed in Christian activity, but you have no personal relationship with God and, of course, the Holy Spirit. And so we substitute it completely, and we don't look to who we're to look to. And that's the Holy Spirit. Now, really quickly, off the bat, define who is the Holy Spirit. Gordon Fee has a fairly extensive book called God's Empowering Presence. And you can go and you can pick up this book and you can read through it. But what I'm going to do today is give us an entry-level understanding of when we ask the question like we did last week, are you thirsty? Do you want more? You're going, I don't know what I want more of. This and today's talk is what we are looking at of what do we want? We want more of the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit is, and right off the bat to find the Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence. Pretty neat, eh? All right, let's jump in. So number one, the Holy Spirit is a 
person. Now, there is enormous misconception in evangelical circles. This is a stat from the States, but I don't imagine it would be very different if we were to take a poll this morning. 58% of American evangelical Christians believe the Holy Spirit is more of a force to wield than a person to do life with. So the force, by what I mean, is like Star Wars. So some of us are really big Star Wars people. We got stoked about Rogue One. We got, we got really excited about The Force Awakens, and we're like, ooh, Yoda, may the force be with you. And we're like, what is this? Christianity completely makes sense. The Holy Spirit is the force that we learn about in Star Wars. The scriptures speak completely different about the Holy Spirit, though. The Holy Spirit is a person that we do life with. It's not a force to wield. So just quickly, right off the bat, to help us understand this, if you are doing life with other people, they are helping you do your life, right? At least unless, if you're, unless you're living at like an arm, arm's length from them. Like, I'm sort of doing life with you, but I'd rather not help you. But if you're taking on their life, their burdens, everything that's going on with their life, you begin to share the load. You can think of it if uh, this morning our setup team shows up at 8 o'clock to bring everything in here, and everyone's pushing in these big boxes. you got to see them if you don't. If you're, if you're not on a setup team or on any team, join us. It's incredible. But we push in these boxes. Now, what happens when two people push a box is that box moves much quicker and easier. Why? Because two people are sharing the load. This is what that relationship is to be like with the person of the Holy Spirit. He wants to do life with us. He wants to share the load. He wants to give us power that we didn't have if we didn't have him. This is the Holy Spirit. So in John 16 verse 7, we read this, and this is Jesus. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper, the comforter in other translations, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now notice what it does not say. It does not say it will come to you. He says he, him, he will come to you. And then what he does is he, convict, he convicts the world of concerning sin. He lets you know in your life, you should not do this. I remember speaking to someone who had committed their life to following Jesus, and they came to me at one point, they're like, I don't feel him. And I'm like, okay, let's, let's ask him questions. I said, do you feel like convicted or weird when you do something that you know you shouldn't do? It's like, yeah, I feel that a lot. I'm like, hey, that's the Holy Spirit. And he just starts crying. He was like, really? I said, yeah. He's like, wow. So the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. He guides us into truth. If you're wanting to know what is right, what is wrong, what is truthful, what isn't, we ask the Holy Spirit to help us. He speaks on the Father's authority. And he also glorifies Jesus and the Father. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit relationship, they are like in this amazing perpetual dance with one another. That They're not out of step with each other. So if somebody comes to you and says, hey, um, the Spirit told me that uh, you should just go and do this, uh, and it's clearly like something you shouldn't do, right? Like just in the Bible, you're like, ah, I don't think that's right. Like they don't work out of sync together. They glorify one another. They're in this perpetual dance to guide us into truth. 
So he convicts the world of sin, guides in truth, speaks on the Father's authority, and glorifies Jesus and the Father. And as a person, okay, this is now we're getting to more of the personhood, as a person who we're in relationship with, we need to understand a few things. And this is what the scriptures tell us. Number one, the Holy Spirit is sensitive. The Holy Spirit is sensitive. The scriptures speak to us in that we need to adjust to him. We, he does not adjust to us. He's sensitive. So picture in your mind, and don't point at them or don't look at them if they're in this room. Picture a sensitive person. Okay, you're like, this person is sensitive. And you know when you're around them, you have to what? Change your behavior as to accommodate them. This is what the, the scriptures speak about when it speaks about our actions, is that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We're going to get to that. Secondly, he can be pleased. He has joy. Romans 14 verse 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So he can be pleased, but then also he can be grieved and he can be quenched. Ephesians 4, verse 30 to 32 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, I remember uh, reading a book, uh, it's called Holy Fire by R.T. Kendall, a great book on the Holy Spirit, and he talks about, uh, the, imagine a dove is like hanging out in your eaves trough, and you're a real bird person, you're a, you're a dove person, and so you are like, this is awesome, there's a dove in my eaves trough. Now, imagine you come out of your house one day, and you're like, the dove's back, and you like open the door, and you run out, and you're making a bunch of noise, the dove is likely going to fly away, right? You haven't been very sensitive to the dove. So what you do is you start to adjust your life, your patterns, your behaviors, so that the dove can remain. Now, as we spoke about last week, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've committed your life, you put your faith in the good news of Jesus, then you have the Holy Spirit. So this isn't a question of, like, he leaves completely. It's a question of his presence felt, his nearness understood. And as we said last week, there have been times, I'm sure, in everyone's life here, if you're a follower of Jesus, that you've been like, wow, just really sense his presence right now. Really sense his nearness right now. That's what we're going after. Now, here are some things that the scriptures list are ways to grieve the Holy Spirit. Because now some of us are sitting here going like, I don't want to like grieve him. I don't want to quench the Spirit. Like, I want to grow in the Spirit. Ephesians 4 verse 31 tells us that bitterness is a way that we grieve the Holy Spirit. So think and ask that question. Are you bitter towards anybody? Do you have bitterness? Do you, do you harbor some resentment towards someone? How about rage or anger? Rage or anger? You ever felt rage or anger? You know, you're, you can be like just driving. Someone cuts you off. They're tailing you. Ew, you know, I've had those moments. Say things you were like, well, I'm glad nobody else is sitting in the car at this moment. Rage and anger, but maybe rage and anger towards somebody that you're in relationship with, you're in community with, maybe someone you work with. Third, brawling and slander, Ephesians 4, verse 31. You'd struggle with gossip, slandering someone else behind their back, not willing to be honest with them in person. These are ways that we grieve the Holy Spirit. 
Uh, the scriptures talk about every form of malice or ill will towards other people. Uh, fifth, sexual immorality, living outside of God's design as far as sexuality is concerned. It could be sins from the heart. Mark 7, verse 20 to 23 says, And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. So it could be sins or things that you're harboring in your heart. And then lastly, Matthew 6, verse 24 says, You cannot serve both God and money. For either you will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So it's the question of greed. Greed in our hearts can quench the Spirit of God. So some of us are sitting here today and we're going, wow, this has like been a good checkup. I recognize that some of the things that were just listed there, I'm, I'm given to. I'm a slave to. And so we're recognizing, wow, no wonder I'm struggling in this relationship with the Holy Spirit. I'm, 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 he's quenched. He's grieved in my life. And so this is what Christians talk about when they talk about repentance. It's coming to a place of, no, i got to return to the way that I was created, the way that God desires me to be in line with the good news of Jesus and turn and go away from these things. And as we turn away from those things, the things that we desire, our affections change as we begin to desire the things of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, the Holy Spirit is God's presence with us. God with us. Not just God, with us. God inside of you. Remember I talked about last week on the mountain and the Israelites are standing there and they're just watching Moses is up the mountain. There's like it's thunder and lightning. They're like, whoa. That presence is now inside of you. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's where God dwells. Now, how do we know if we have his presence? And what does his presence mean? Well, the scriptures tell us that his presence means life. So think about death. None of us like to think about death. Now think about the opposite, life. Uh, some of you are walking dead people. You like that show, right? Zombies. Dead people walking. This is an uh, okay illustration to describe our lives apart from the Spirit of God who gives us life, who gives us vitality, who gives us a sense, a knowledge of what is going around us, around us rather than just walking around like, trying to, weird, trying to get other people dead too. And this is what we talk about when we talk about Satan, that he's after us. He wants us to die. He doesn't want us to have life. But the scriptures tell us, Romans 8, verses 9 to 11, for example, and next week for Easter, we're going to go through the beginning parts of Romans 8 to talk about what does life in the Spirit look like because of the resurrection of Jesus. Secondly, we have the fruit of the Spirit. That means that our character has changed. Our attitude and response to things are different. As I told you last week, if you were part of any good children's Sunday school, you probably learned all of the fruit of the Spirit. And you were encouraged at the end of that session or those times to go out and have more love. But that's really not the proper way to teach the Holy Spirit because we're told that it's the fruit of a life in the Spirit, which means it's the byproduct of being in relationship with the Holy Spirit, which means that His presence is inside of us. 
So if we don't quench him, you're going to be like a more loving person. You're going to have more joy. You're going to be more gentle. You're going to be more self-controlled. Now, this puts a lot of us on the hook because if you're doing relationship with somebody and uh, they start recognizing in you, wow, this person's a real prick lately. Like, what's wrong with you? You can know in their life, likely, their relationship with God through the Holy Spirit is being quenched in some way. We can know that being in a church family, in a body like this, that if there is anger, if there is resentment, if there is ill will, if there is slander, it's like we are not journeying with the Holy Spirit. He's not dwelling deeply. Maybe that's helpful. Uh, Husbands and wives do not go home and call each other out in that way. It will probably not be received well. How are you quenching the Holy Spirit, treating me like this? You know, that sort of thing. Don't do that. The Spirit also helps us understand and uh, understand the Bible and gives us the desire to read it. 2 Timothy 3, verse 14 to 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation for, for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So the Spirit gives us an understanding of the Scriptures. The Spirit gives us a desire. I remember speaking to someone once, and, and he said, you know, before I put my faith in Jesus, I was reading the Bible, and I was so lost. I didn't understand it at all. It's like, and then I committed and I put my faith in Jesus and I started reading the Bible and it started to make sense to me. Why? The Holy Spirit was inside revealing the things of God. As we already talked about, the Holy Spirit will convict and guide you in, in truth. But then here are some things of ultimate proof of the Holy Spirit. One is fearlessness. Archie Kendall in Holy, Holy Fire says this, A spirit of fear is a perpetual anxiety that governs a person, worrying that something will always go wrong, that you will displease someone. And what we learn in the scriptures is that the spirit of God gives us a, a spirit of fearlessness. I'm not being controlled by those things. But it involves leaning into him and away from wanting to lean into ourselves. Romans 8, verse 15, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So, fearlessness is ultimate proof. Power, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, which gets a a few of us just like, what are you talking about power, man? Like, we're going to get to power, talk about power. Thirdly, love. 1 John 4, verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. This is an agape love that it's speaking about here. It's self-giving, unselfish, caring about others at expense of yourself, which we get a picture of if you're doing life in a missional community with other people. Like all of our, if you're in a missional community and you have, you have identified leaders in your missional community, when we get together with the leaders in your missional community, we spend first at the beginning time together praying about all of the issues in missional community life. They're like, it's so hard doing life together like this. And then at the end, I always ask them and I say, hey, would you have it any other way? Absolutely not. Because that's what it means to be part of a family. Self-giving, self-sacrificial love. And the Holy Spirit leads us in those relationships and empowers us on the way. 
And then another ultimate proof is self-control. 2 Timothy 1, verse 6 to 7, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Now, self-control means to be sober-minded. And this can be mastery over our bodies and an example of food, substance, sex, and the control of our tongues. How many of you have ever thought about self-control in the area of your tongue? I don't think I have, really, until I really did some serious prep for this. My tongue needs really self-controlled? Yeah, man, says the Holy Spirit. So these are ways that we can figure out ultimate proofs of his presence, of the desires that he places within us. And then lastly, so we've talked about the Holy Spirit's a person, presence, ready for power? Yeah. Now, this is where some of us, again, as I said, go, whoa, I came to this church because I thought we just taught through books of the Bible. That was good for me. I like that. Power? Yeah. Power. Here's what you need to understand. Jesus does miracles by the Spirit's power. Therefore, his life, Jesus' life, is to be a template for us in a life led by the Holy Spirit. So let's look at Luke. Luke 1, verse 32 and 35. This is what is said of Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, will be called Holy, the Son of God. Fast forward, Luke 3, verses 21 to 22. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. We saw that illustrated in the video prior. Then in Luke 4, we read, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit... So he's full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, and was led into the Spirit in the wilderness... Go forward to 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Okay, crazy. It's like, did Jesus just cast us out so he could be served? Probably not. He came to serve us. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them, and demons also came out of many crying, you are the son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. So many of us have read these stories before. Now there's two ways of understanding these stories in the life of Jesus. And the first way is to say these stories and the power that Jesus had is proof that Jesus is God. Now, I'm going to bet many of us think this way. The reason Jesus was able to do miracles was because he's God. Now, pre-enlightenment, we're getting into a little bit of history here, pre-enlightenment, lots of people would have sort of a spiritual or religious worldview, believe in Jesus. Post-enlightenment, 
people began to study new things and to become enlightened. This is why it's called that way, they felt. They began to be enlightened. And so they started to doubt that Jesus was God. And so what the church and what people of religion and belief in Jesus said was, hold on, hold on, hold on. You can't say that Jesus wasn't God. Jesus is God because he could do miracles. Now, you only get so far with that. Because if you've continued to read the scriptures and know the story, there's other people in the Bible that do miracles too. Right? Some examples. Elijah, Paul, Peter, and Philip. They can do miracles too. So are they the son of God as well? Okay, that's an easy answer. No. Okay, no. So that's one way of reading the miracle stories. And I'm guessing there are people in this room that you have that thought. Here's the second way of reading the miracle stories. That they are signs of the inbreaking kingdom of God. When Jesus does miracles, it is a sign of the kingdom and of the kingdom of God here, and he is our king. Jesus laid down his God card to be with us. He became the prototype for all of his followers, and we should seek what Jesus experienced. So instead, it's saying, okay, Jesus is the prototype of what of life led empowered by the Holy Spirit is, and I want to live as Jesus lived. So let's look at the book of Acts. Because these, these, these followers were wanting that as well. Acts 1, verses 6 to 8. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Go forward to Acts 3, verses 1 to 8. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Very specific, beautiful details. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms or money. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, This is, this is crazy, God. We got to like learn from this. I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. <laughs> and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Isn't that amazing? That wasn't Jesus that did that. That was spirit-empowered believers. Acts 4, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Acts 5, verse 12 to 16. Now many signs and wonders were regularly being done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them in cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed." It's amazing. So, 
In summary, we see three ways of power in Jesus and the apostles. Number one is a demonstration of supernatural power. No doubt, right? We read these stories, we're like, okay, that's supernatural. That's wild. Secondly, an inner power to grasp what had previously been dark or mysterious. Knowledge of the prophets, knowledge of what it all meant for life in the here and now. And then also, thirdly, this is incredible, the power to witness. This is what Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 10, verse 16 to 20. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. So if it feels a little bit scary going out, it should. Sheep in the midst of wolves, beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, this is what he said, verse 19. Like, this is so counterintuitive to what we should be feeling if he just said that. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So there is that aspect of the supernatural power, but there's also just the power to be bold in knowing what to say when we're in relationship with people who don't know Jesus and wondering what we should say. Have you ever, okay, this is a really good test. Have you ever, when you're speaking to somebody, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a friend, have you ever just in conversation just said, Holy Spirit, this is what I'd advise you to do, okay? So it's not just have you. This would be really cool, okay? But you're just like, Holy Spirit, give me the words to say right now. Help me to respond as you want me to respond. Help me to hear what I would otherwise not hear if it's purely based on human power. May I listen to the motivations of their heart, and may I speak to the motivations of their heart so I can speak to the heart issue here, which is always a gospel issue. And may you help me to speak. Now, it doesn't need to be that long. It could be just like, Holy Spirit, help me right now. Like, it, 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 just in relationship. That's what it means to be doing life with the Spirit, to be leaning on Him for His power. Because if we're honest, okay, if it's purely up to you to save people, there are many people that would not be saved. There would be people that maybe would say, okay, I now believe in Jesus, but they won't be sustained. Because the Holy Spirit gives them that strength. The Holy Spirit sustains them. The Holy Spirit brings life to them. You can maybe make them a better zombie. Only the Spirit of God can bring them to life. Amazing. So here at Church of the City, we believe that what we read about in the scriptures and the experience of the Holy Spirit is available today. And we want to experience more. Really. Desperately. We want more. Now, this is called continuationism. This is a little bit of a theological aside. Continuationists. There are those that are cessationists that would say that the healing, prophecy, power, these things are not available anymore today. And they typically stand behind 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 to 12, where it says this. And I'm just doing this as an aside to, to help us. It says, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, okay, that's important, that when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. 
For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Now the difference in that interpretation is when the perfect comes. And some people interpret that when the perfect comes, that means the Bible. So now that we have the scriptures, the perfect is here, we don't need anything else. My challenge to that would be, I believe the perfect's Jesus. Because when Jesus is among us, when redemption and restoration has been completed and he is here with us, we won't need those things because we'll be in perfect relationship again. Everything will be restored. But until that time, in this already not yet kingdom in which we experience and we hear about these things going on in Egypt, our heart breaks. We go, we need the Holy Spirit to take over as we await for the final day, as the video illustrated, when the Holy Spirit will be unleashed on the complete cosmos. So this is a bit of a helpful thing, I hope, to you in understanding why we are continuationists and why we need to lean into this more. So, you might be saying, well, how do I grow in the Holy Spirit? How do I grow in the Holy Spirit's power? Now, I wish, like all of you, because we all want quick answers, we want all 140 characters, we want a nice picture to get us likes and statuses and shares and all these different things. I wish it was like we could go to the scriptures and be like, okay, Matthew 5, verse 6, Jesus said, do this, 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 boom, power everywhere. It's not the case. But here is maybe a bit of a helpful rubric at least for things that we see in and through disciples of Jesus when power is shown or exhibited or experienced. Okay? This is from John Mark Comer from Portland. He says this, there's, there's an aspect of an intimacy with God. In a person, there's developing a communion with the Father. There's a regular God at the forefront of your mind. There's an intimacy with God, being able to listen to his voice. You've maybe heard stories of, I heard a story of a guy who went to New York City and his friend said, can you hear the cricket? And he's like, no, like I just hear like honks and cars. And he's like, no, listen, listen, listen. He needed to tune his ear and he finally was able to hear the cricket. That's what happens when we grow in our intimacy with God. We begin to listen to his voice. R.T. Kendall writes this, When you spend time with God, you get to know his ways as well as his word. More than that, you develop a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. You eventually get to know his ways to the extent that you sense when you are about to grieve him. So there's a knowledge that comes from an intimacy with him. Secondly, holiness. And what holiness means is simply to be set apart for God's special purposes. So that could be through a life of prayer, fasting, scripture reading, simplicity, I listed all the things that grieve the Holy Spirit earlier. It's walking away from those things to be in line to not quench and grieve him. And then finally, faith. So intimacy with God, life of holiness, and lastly, a life of faith. 26, get this, okay, just from a stat perspective, 26 of the 29 healing stories in the Gospels, Jesus says, faith. 26 of the 29. Correlation to one, what we believe God can do and what he will do and what God actually does. Now this is, this is scary stuff. Because some of us are like, but I like putting my faith in myself. I like what I can do for someone. I like what I can gain as far as knowledge to have a good defense for the gospel. Don't tell me I need to have faith in the Holy Spirit. Good luck. 
need faith. Every person on the planet has faith. The question is who you put your faith in. Is it self? Is it Muhammad? Is it Buddha? Is it your kingdom? Or is it Jesus? The gospel of Jesus Christ is a good news to be heard because it means that fallen, broken people who are, should be under the just wrath of God are given eternal life through putting their faith in him. Now, this is offensive because it says you can't then put your faith in yourself. And many of us want this. We want to walk out today and go, I need the top five things to do so I don't have to go to hell. We just want a quick list of things we can do. But here's what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. You put your faith in Jesus and what he has done for you. And the spirit of God penetrates your heart and says, I'm here, I'm with you, I'm inside of you. I've given you life, I give you a spirit of fearlessness. I give you the characters of the spirit. So if you're desperate for more, this is who you're coming after. God's empowering presence. And as I said last week, I read this stuff in Acts. I read this stuff in the Gospels. I hear about what God's Spirit is doing on the other side of the world in literally raising dead people. Hear some stories out of India where literally people are declared dead. And they're praying like, God, give them life. No longer dead. I read this stuff and I'm like, I want it. I want to see that in our day in Canada. Do you? Do you want to see the Spirit of God do the miraculous? Do you ever want to look back at your life and go, well, I did everything that I could in my power. I guess that was enough. Or do you want to look back and go, holy smokes, there is no explanation for what just happened there. Like every time someone comes to know Jesus for the first time, I'm like, wow, that couldn't have been me. That couldn't have been James. That couldn't have been this church because the gospel is crazy. It's so good. It's so good. So the question, do you put your faith in Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit? Or are you comfortable in self? And therefore, even the mention of power, you're like, whoa, easy, easy, buddy. Thought we were just like a Bible church. Like, that used to be a thing, eh? Like, you drive by church, it was like, we are the Bible church. What about the Holy Spirit? What about the Holy Spirit? No, we're too caught up in Father, Son, Holy Scriptures. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there are people sitting here that are currently dead. Your Spirit brings life. It regenerates our hearts. It pierces through the darkness. And God, we want that. I I know I do. So I guess I can't really say we do because I don't know what everyone in this room wants. But God, you do. God, you know each person in this room better than they even know themselves. That's crazy. 
And God, as we learned last week, every one of us is thirsty. We all, we all thirst after things, and those thirsts drive us. So if we're, some of us are honest here, God, we know that it's, it's something other than you that is currently driving us in our thirst. God, we need your Holy Spirit. God, we need to begin talking about the Spirit. We need to begin walking in line and in life with the Spirit. Because God, we live in a world that is dead. People that are zombies walking around and God, we have the answer to life. And sometimes God, those people will reject that message and it's not up for us to try to convince them. It's up to us to share that news and to allow the Spirit of God to do the work of regeneration and changing. So God, we are here as a people, as a church here in Guelph, praying in Guelph as it is in heaven. But God, we just need to repent and say, we can't seek in Guelph as it is in heaven apart from the Holy Spirit. So God, I I just confess that to you right now, that I have at times pursued in Guelph as it is in heaven apart from the Holy Spirit, on my own power, on my own presence, on my own person, So Holy Spirit, convict us. Convict me. May I walk in faith. Faith to believe that everything that you say you can do, that you can actually do. And God, I pray that we would see a move of your spirit here in Guelph that would go to across this nation and to the ends of this earth because that's what you ultimately desire. That's what restoration looks like. We love you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Come. Amen.